This is Carla Pincott with the Centre for Independent Studies podcast, What You Need to Know About. Today we're talking about what you need to know about politicisation. We're joined by Dr Scott Prasser, a senior fellow at CIS, who's had former roles as a senior advisor with several federal ministers. And he's the author of the paper, Politicisation, the Attack on Merit and Our Way of Life. As a special guest, we have John McMillan, an emeritus professor at ANU who's held former statutory positions of Commonwealth Ombudsman, the Australian Information Commissioner, Integrity Commissioner for the Australian Commission for Law Enforcement Integrity, and acting as New South Wales Ombudsman. He was also strategic advisor to the Victorian Ombudsman for its recent inquiry into allegations of politicisation in the Victorian public sector. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you both for joining us. Scott, if I could start with you, could you, for the listeners, just in one or two sentences, outline what is bad about politicisation? It leads to the erosion of merit. It means people are not necessarily competent who are being appointed, and therefore it leads to political decision being made and poor decisions being made in the public interest. Wonderful. And John, you, as we mentioned in your bio, advised the Victorian Ombudsman for its recent inquiry, which I think was last week the report came out. Um, Scott has put out a media release saying that he felt that the report was disappointing or the response was disappointing. What's your response to that? I I thought the report was a... um, a very strong um, a report, Annalisa. Um, Scott, uh, it was an exhaustive, you know, uh, uh, fact-based investigation into allegations uh, uh, appearing in newspaper reports that were referred by the Legislative Council in Victoria um, to the Ombudsman. And I think the Ombudsman, uh, you know, thoroughly uh, examined them, you know, looking at, you know, over 5 million records and uh, interviewing 20 agency heads and 60 senior uh, officials uh, and the like. Um, the, um, and so the report is very much a fact-based report on what was found. I think some would have liked the recommendations to go further um, in terms of reform of public service practices. But I think you have to bear in mind that this was not a wholesale review of uh, you know, our responsible government uh, is operating. This was an investigation of particular allegations that were referred, um, reaching some disturbing findings, but also finding a number of the allegations that were sustained and making recommendations that were tailored to uh, to that result. Okay. And Scott, you in your press release said that in light of the findings, you felt that the Ombudsman's recommendations fell far short of what's needed. Can you elaborate on that in a couple of sentences? Sure. The Ombudsman made basically four basic uh, recommendations. Um, Enhance the public service independence by appointing an independent head. I don't know what that means to evaluate, recommend department secretaries. Uh, I don't know how that would work. Safeguard merit selection by the independent head have a role in filling positions. It makes no discussion about where the role of the public sector commission should be or which would go back to a public service board. Um, it talks about improving career stability 
by overhauling employment framework. I don't know what that means at all. That seems like public service managerial nonsense. And as talks about rethinking cabinet confidentiality, compared to, say, the Royal Commission we had into the overseas doctor scandal in Queensland, which took, took on all these sort of issues, I thought this was pretty weak. And also, it doesn't tackle the problem of the public service continuing to be politicised with staffers who are partisan being appointed to government positions. Well, thank you. John, can you shed some light on those questions that Scott raised about what these things actually mean? Just to take up Scott's last point, um, nobody disagrees that um, uh, the people who've worked in ministerial or political offices should be barred from employment in the public service. It's, uh, it's well accepted nowadays that people who work in the uh, in, in political offices can have a subsequent career in the public service. However, <laughs> what this report found uh, and uh, you know, dealt with quite strongly is that um, if that move is made, it has to be through a merit-based selection process and clear lines have in place to ensure that the boundary between the political and the executive arms is, uh, is not break, broken down. So well, I think that um, matter is addressed uh, quite properly in this report. As to Scott's um, first query about, well, who's the head of the, the public service? The, the background here is that in Victoria, the head of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet is uh, designated by statute as the head of the public service. Uh, and our report found that that um, uh, means that uh, the person is a conflict is in, in, in a conflicted position. They're the direct mm -hmm. advisor representing the executive branch of government to the premier and, uh, and to ministers, but they are also notionally uh, and legally responsible for upholding all the essential principles of, uh, of of uh, an apolitical public service. So that was the recommendation is that that formal responsibility should move to um, another officer. Uh, an obvious one is the head of the public service um, commission, uh, public service commissioner. Uh, but the report sort of left that open for uh, further discussion. And the a person who is then the head of the public service should play a much more active role in the um, selection uh, of uh, heads of agencies, in um, potentially participating in or nominating people to participate on selection panels for senior public officers. So now, uh, there's a similar um, framework uh, that operates in New Zealand. Now, of course moves of that sort won't stop um, a strong-minded uh, government or minister from uh, controlling, directing, and you know usurping uh, control within executive branches. But it's an essential start. At the moment, there isn't that formal barrier um, to uh, overarching political influence and control on the executive branch. I see. Um, Scott, can you see any issues with that solution? Well, I, I think there's a fundamental flaw in the report that assumes that people who are partisan appointees to ministerial staff should somehow have a role in going into the public service. Now, the idea, I think, I think the report's got it back to front. There certainly is a case and has long been the case 
that public servants work in a ministerial office for experience, not the other way around. The ministerial staffing, where people are appointed on the whim of the minister, uh, do not have a role of moving into the public service. It's not a training ground for them to get permanent jobs at higher pay. That's politicisation. Putting ministerial staffers into appointments, which began with the Whitland government, when we had Dim Spiegelman, um, Menendu, and Dr. Peter Walensky, no one denies they're competent people, but they were on the staff of Mr. Whitland and got appointed. And if you read the Fitzgerald report, if you read Peter Coldrake's stuff about working the system, he makes a great deal that appointing people who are ministerial staffers to become department heads or positions is politicization and is a form of corruption. So I don't think ministerial staffers, if they are appointed as partisans and by the whim of the minister, should be going into the public service. That's the problem. And having the head of the Premier's department who himself is a political appointment on a contract, uh, is not a person to be the arbitrator or of protection of merit. And the report goes on to say that a number of the people, the cases they looked at, 11 of the 16 cases, uh, they were not justified by official records. The records were missing or weren't good enough. Now, I'm sorry, I think putting staffers into ministerial positions is a political process, and that's, that's not the normal practice at all. It's not the normal practice in federal government. Uh, it might be, become the normal practice, but it has not been the normal practice. It's been the case in Queensland for, for, for some considerable time and condemned as such. So I think they've got that back to front. And I think what needs to happen and what's missing in all this thing, as like we have in Canberra, is that there is no bipartisanship in these appointments. Now, we have some sort of bipartisanship um, about the anti-corruption bodies around Australia in varying degrees, in varying degrees. And I think the only way we're going to get some consistency and some belief back in our public services, not just a mob of stooges, is that there should be a bipartisan <laughs> process in senior appointments. We've got two systems going. Basically, We've got Westminster for junior positions where people apply, go through a, a merit selection process, but for many senior SES level positions and above, it's Washminster. People get appointed of who they know and their political allegiance. And the report has not com confronted this at all. The report says it's heartening. They didn't find any examples. I think they were looking for a smoking gun. I find the report disheartening. That's my view. Well, and we <laughs> I don't accept those criticisms of the report. I must say it's not the report and I've been advised. But look, I, but Scott, I think, really um, uh, sits in a minority in the view that he has just expressed that people who worked in ministerial offices should not be headed, should not be appointed to head agencies. Um, it's become common practice at governments at all levels in uh, Australia. <coughs> That uh, working in the on the political side of uh, of government does not preclude you from having a subsequent career in the public service, and indeed, it's recognised that people with that experience often bring really uh, uh, quite a deal of uh, talent and knowledge and uh, an insight to the position. Uh, there's a large uh, number of people that. Uh, Commonwealth and state level who've had experience in ministerial offices 
who've been appointed to ed agencies and they've uh, they've undertaken a, a, an unblemished and um, and highly regarded uh, career but uh, the, the the aim is to ensure um, that you don't get political control of the independent judgment of the executive um, side uh, of government so it must stand in a position that it can give independent and what is often called um, frank, impartial and timely advice to government on the policies that uh, it wants to take forward. Um, and once government's made a decision, then it is the responsibility of the public service to implement those decisions. Uh, but certainly <clears throat> steps can be taken uh, to provide uh, or to define that boundary more clearly and uh, uh, to safeguard it. As to Scott's point about bipartisan involvement, on the one hand, it's generally accepted that government should, uh, that the elected government <coughs> should have um, a major role in the appointment of the heads of government service agencies, but the recommendation in our report is that there should nevertheless be an independent process to select them, and that that should involve some consultation. Well, for example, the appointment of the head of the public service, a public service commissioner or whatever, should involve some consultation um, with the uh, the opposition benches in Parliament. And Scott said that's the kind of process that is now uh, followed increasingly for appointment of uh, heads of integrity uh, agencies. So... I think it is possible um, to uh, uh, to safeguard, you know, the important inherited, inherited traditions of government um, without taking the criticism as far as Scott was taking it. Okay, so you think that perhaps increased bipartisanship um, would help with that? Uh, yes, I think it it is. Um, it, one of the essential principles of a, a Westminster-based system is that the public servants service should dutifully um, serve the government of the day. And if that government changes or if a minister changes, um, it should be in a position to serve um, the newly appointed government and to do so with the same uh, faith and confidence. So it, it bolsters that expectation if there is some bipartisan um, consultation, at least with the head of the uh, the public service, and you know, and and that person can then um, explore what other protocols must be or need to be put in place um, to ensure that there is confidence on all sides of government uh, in the people who are appointed to head executive agencies. Mm -hmm. You you said just previously that you can't stop a strong-minded government or minister from making their own appointments, but if these processes were put in place, and if there was uh, a clear and strong procedures around it, and if there was bipartisanship, um, surely that would prevent even the strongest-minded government or minister from making what uh, politicised appointments. Well, the the person who is appointed to head an agency is appointed on day one, and they will then um, often have a, a tenure which goes for five years. Um, they will be in frequent contact with the minister's office, uh, and um, and ministers uh, 
uh, are very strong-minded and responsive to public pressures and will often make it um, very clear to uh, government agencies um, what the political direction they want to take. And if they find that there are individual senior public servants who they feel are sort of uncooperative or, or, or not performing to the standard quite, they will pass that information on. Now, uh, it's important that the minister has no direct control over who is appointed or who is a rem removed, and hence this report uh, recommends doing away with uh, uh, an at-will removal procedure. But it's generally accepted that a head of an agency um, has to gauge the views and temperament of a minister um, on whether the department is meeting the minister's expectations and whether the minister has confidence in the senior officers within the agency. Thank you. It's nearly all we have time for. Scott, is there anything that you would like to add in summary? I think this um, report was a missed opportunity. I think it's naive. I think it's got some things back to front. And it's, it does not really put in a process. Uh, and I, I think governments should make the appointments. But it, it should we need to put in a process of greater transparency um, and some ownership of appointment processes. And there were 16 issues which the report highlights after it says there's no direct evidence of partisan hiring. There's 16 issues they raise that are problems. Decision-making outside of agencies, over-responsiveness, direct appointments are used too frequently, merit selection is under strain, advice tailored to give to give what the government wants, the problem of fixed-term appointments, the um, uh, marginalisation of people. There's a whole range of issues which uh, have not been addressed. This, this report will be uh, basically go through the motions of acceptance by whoever is in government at the time and will make no change to the way the Victorian public service, like other public services in Australia, have become politicised. Thank you, Scott. John, you probably would like to say a few words in summary to sign out as well. Uh, look, I, I can just end by saying, look, I think it'll have quite a big impact. It's certainly been taken seriously uh, in Victoria. Um, the message has certainly got across at individual um, agency level that they, they must be scrupulous in adhering to merit appointment processes. Um, there's been initial government rejection of the report um, but uh, you know, they've, uh, they've certainly taken it uh, uh, very seriously. It's on their agenda. Um, this report adds to uh, several others. Um, Scott has mentioned some, the Coldbrook report. There was the um, a Graham Head report on the Barrelara appointment, New South Wales, the Robat Royal Commission. Um, and, uh, and all of them have uh, several common themes about, uh, one, it's important for the executive branch to be responsive to government but it must be uh, not be taken to the point um, where it, uh, it it loses its independent judgment. And so I think there's some very clear messaging coming out from this and other reports, and, uh, and I think it will have an impact on public service practice um, around Australia. Thank you. I suspect this is an issue that's not going to go away immediately, but this has been a very interesting and frank discussion from both sides, and I thank you very much for that. We'll be back soon explaining what you need to know about the key developments in Australia.
CIS has an exciting opportunity for students to meet and network with other like-minded people from Australia and New Zealand. The Liberty and Society Student Conference is a unique two-day event for students interested in exploring important economic, political and philosophical issues from a classical liberal and libertarian framework. It's a valuable networking weekend that has fostered a community of long-standing interest in classical liberal ideas. This conference is completely free. All meals, accommodation and sessions are covered. So if you are a student or know a student who would be interested, applications are now open for our March intake. Head to cis.org.au to learn more or click the link in the show notes page. Thank you.